Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, relationships can be tricky. I'm not just talking about a boy-girl relationships, but, but every relationship. One area that relationships can go wrong is in the area of expectations. When person A expects person B to do uh, X, Y, and Z, and person B fails to do them, and person A may feel frustrated or upset. This sort of thing can happen in the boss-employee relationship. The employee might have certain unspoken expectations of his boss, and if his boss fails to deliver, he might get frustrated and walk away from the job. Or if the employee keeps performing below the boss's expectations, the boss may have to let him go. Well, this sort of thing can also happen in marriage. A husband and a wife, they need to work together. And if they have different expectations of each other, it can lead to frustration. For example, around the house, uh, a certain job needs to get done, and the husband thinks to himself, this is definitely a pink job. I'm sure my wife will do it. But the wife thinks to herself, there's no way this is a pink job. This is a blue job. I'll leave it for my husband. Well, guess what? Neither of them does it, and both of them feel frustrated with the other person. So what has happened in these examples? Some of the people had wrong understanding of their particular roles in the relationship. They also had different expectations than the other person. Well, beloved, the same thing can actually happen in our relationship with God. Of course, God never has wrong expectations of us. He knows all things perfectly. He also never acts unfaithfully or fails to do what He says He will do. However, the same things cannot be said of us. We can't have wrong expectations of God or of our relationship to God, and we can have a distorted view of our role in our, our relationship to Him. And if humans get things wrong here, they could even end up feeling frustrated at God, which, of course, is no good. And so, beloved, we need to know who we, who we are before our God and who God is over us. And our text this morning guides us in this. We have two stories here. They seemingly are completely different, but together they show us our role in our relationship with God and the expectations that come with it. And when we understand the truth of this text, then we'll understand that God doesn't owe us anything, but we owe Him all the thanks and praise in the world. And that's also the sermon theme for this morning's sermon. God does not owe us anything, but we owe Him all the thanks and praise in the world. And we see this in relation to being, first of all, dutiful servants of God. That's our first point. And secondly, recipients of God's great grace. That will be the second point. 
So at the beginning of our text, the Lord Jesus, he describes a, a master-servant relationship. And it's, it's a scene that's unfamiliar to us. But in Jesus' time, it was everyday stuff. Everyone knew this relationship. It was common. They also knew the expectations that came with such a relationship. And so when Jesus asks three questions in this illustration, he's not looking for an answer from everyone. In fact, his audience already knows the answer to all three questions that he asks. This is the first question. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? That is, come in, relax, and, and enjoy supper with me? Every single one of Jesus' listeners knew the answer. No. No, they wouldn't do that. That wasn't expected at all. Then there's the second question. Will the master not tell the servant to dress properly, prepare supper, and serve the master? Then afterwards, the servant could eat and drink? Again, every one of Jesus' listeners knew the answer. Yes, that's what he'll tell the servant. That's what's expected. And here's the third question. Does the master thank the servant because he did what was commanded? And everyone said in their hearts, no. No, it, that's just not how it worked. The people knew the answer to these questions because they understood that relationship. It's a servant's job to serve the master. It's his duty to obey his master's commands. And when he does obey them, he's not doing anything special by giving prompt obedience that's just what he did. That's what is expected. Now, perhaps this example Christ uses, it shocks our 21st century sensitivities. We're not used to this type of servant-master relationship. However, we can think of some other modern examples that can bring across the same idea. And Reformed commentator Philip Ryken uses the example of a waitress and he describes the scene like this. Imagine going out for dinner and hearing the waitress say, you know, I've been working hard all night, and I'm a terrific waitress, and I'm really hungry right now, so I think I'll just sit down with you folks and eat some of your shrimp Alfredo. Well, we know that would be completely out of line. We would never expect a waitress to do something like that. She's there to serve the dinner guests. That's her job. When the customer asks to hold the olives on the order of food, she makes sure it happens. When the customer asks for a refill on his drink, she promptly gets it. And she would never help herself to your french fries as she's bringing you your food. If she does... You're going to complain to the manager, my waitress is eating my food, and she will probably be fired. Or think of a travel agent who sets you up with a family vacation in California. Imagine the deal he finds is that you buy four flights. If you buy four flights, you get the fifth one free. 
Well, the travel agent doesn't expect you to then ask him to fill the extra seat and come along on your family vacation. Even the family dog has a better chance of coming than you do. Despite his good work, he knows his role. He's only there to serve you. And if you have a complaint about the vacation while you're down south, he'll do his best to help fix the problem. That's his role. And these were the very expectations of the master-servant relationship in the ancient world. And the Lord Jesus concludes the illustration with this message for us. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded by God, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. You see, the Lord Jesus here, he's teaching us to understand properly our relationship to God and the expectations that come with it. He's our master. He's almighty God, the Lord of heaven and earth. We are his creatures. We are his servants. And yes, Scripture makes clear there's, there's more to our relationship to God, of course. Uh, scripture makes clear elsewhere that we are God's dearly loved children. However, the focus here in this text is on servanthood. And as servants of God, as creatures of God, we are expected to do all that He commands. And when we do give prompt obedience, we're not doing something extra special. We're not going above and beyond. And neither are we working our way up the the company chain, so to speak, to earn uh, equal master status with God, that's simply impossible. Christ reminds us of our place. We're humble servants of the Lord. And with this illustration, Christ does also, he, he pushes at our pride, perhaps in a way we don't want to go. You know, there's something in our fallen hearts that, that wants to reverse this relationship. To make God the servant and that he's expected to just serve us. You know, we might have this unspoken belief that, that God is there to, to serve my needs and <clears throat> to give me my best life now. <clears throat> or if we don't <clears throat> reverse the relationship outright, we can still skew the expectations. You know, there's something in us that thinks, when I do something for God, He owes me something in return. That so easily creeps into our hearts. When I do something for God, He owes me something in return. That's where our sinful hearts can often take us. But Jesus' teaching here is meant to demolish those skewed expectations. So also, 
When you have done all that you were commanded, should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. This is the obedience we owe the Creator. And this attitude is especially important given the fact that we have all sinned against the Lord. And this is what Article 24 of the Belgian Confession is also getting at. That's why we read there, read that uh, article. We confess in the second paragraph of that article, our good works do not count towards our justification. For through faith in Christ, we are justified even before we do any good works. Therefore, we do good works, but not for merit. For what could we merit? We are indebted to God rather than He to us for the good works we do, since it is He who works in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Meanwhile, we do not deny that God rewards good works, but it is by His grace that He crowns His gifts. We also read those words from our text in Article 24, when you have done all that was commanded you, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. And by all this, we can see how easily, how far, how far we get off the mark. And it also shows us again the, the astounding uh, work of Jesus Christ for us. Right? Even though we are expected to give this humble service to God all the time, this is the humble service God the Son did give us, though He did not need to. The Lord Jesus hints at this later on in Luke's Gospel in Luke 22. While they were celebrating the Passover, dispute rose, arose among the disciples as to which of them was the greatest. But Christ taught them the, the opposite approach, saying, Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For which is greater, <clears throat> one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? That's what our Lord Jesus Christ did beyond all expectations. <clears throat> He is the Master. He is our Lord. And yet He humbled Himself, serving us. See, these were not empty words of Christ spoken to the disciples. <clears throat> we read from John 13. And that chapter shows the humble service of Christ beyond all that was expected of Him. See, there he was, was washing the feet of the, of the disciples, doing the work of a servant. That's what the servant and Jesus' illustration in our text would have done. And after washing the disciples' feet, Christ gave these instructions. Do you not know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. This is right, for this is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. He's saying, if I, the master, have done this for you, you ought to do this for one another, but certainly we ought to show this service to God. It's what we owe Him. 
You will be blessed if you do them, he says. If you take on this humble attitude that Christ is commending in our text, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. That brings us to our second point. So, our second point also brings us to the second part of our text. As I begin the second point, I want to say a famous study done long ago showed that nine out of ten people are ungrateful for salvation. Of course, I'm just referring to the second half of our text. It's not actually a scientific study, and yet it was a real-life event. Nine out of ten people ungrateful for what the Lord Jesus did for them. And it, this event drives home the lack of gratitude that can infect our hearts. So the second story in our text involves the healing of ten lepers. At first, we might think it's completely unrelated to the first story. And indeed, the details are different. However, the things they teach are very much related. It's all about properly understanding, understanding our relationship to God and what we owe Him. So the Lord Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem with His disciples, and their journey took them on the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as they entered a village, ten men with leprosy met Jesus. Leprosy, of course, in the Old Covenant, made a person in Israel ceremonially unclean. Lepers had to live away from the rest of the covenant community, lest they make someone else unclean, and they could not participate in uh, the Israelite worship with the rest of the people. That's also why these lepers did not come right up to Jesus, Instead, they stood at a distance calling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And in reply, Christ gave them a simple command. He said, go show yourselves to the priest. And this command was a test of faith. You see, a leper would only go to the priest according to the Old Testament laws if he had been healed, and he would go show himself to the priest because the priest would inspect him, and he would declare him clean, and then the person who was once a leper or had some other skin disease could return to normal life in the community. However, notice that in our text, Christ sent these lepers to the priest while they were still uh, lepers, while they still had their leprosy. But even so, these ten lepers started on their way. And somewhere on their journey, the lepers suddenly looked down and saw that they were healed. Their leprosy completely gone. And what an act of God's grace. Think about Think about these men. Put yourself in their shoes. Who knows how long they were outcasts in Israel. They couldn't make a living. They couldn't spend time with family and friends. 
They lived a miserable life with no future and no hope. But in an instant, all of that was completely changed when they were healed. And so it's no wonder one of the the men, seeing that he was healed, returned to Jesus with, with such great joy. And he gave glory to God with a, with a loud voice. He could not contain himself. And then he bowed low to the ground before Jesus, thanking him with all of his heart. And what an appropriate response. He went from complete despair to utter joy in a moment. He, his life went from zero hope to all the hope in the world. And not only that, the miracle showed him that Jesus was the Savior. The Savior the world had been waiting for. He'd found him. Then the text reveals reveals a detail kept hidden in the story until now. It says, he was a Samaritan. Who were the Samaritans? They appear in the Gospels from time to time. While their exact origins are unclear, their ancestry likely included a mixture of Israelites and Gentiles uh, in, in between the time of the Testaments. But the Israelites, they viewed the Samaritans with disdain. In their minds, the Samaritans were heretics. Uh, the Samaritans only held to the books of Moses, some of which they changed. They also worshipped at Mount Gerizim instead of Jerusalem, and they corrupted the Old Testament worship of God. And yet, here in this story, there was only one leper who returned glorifying God and thanking Jesus. He was a Samaritan. And this is what counted in the eyes of the Lord. He is worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And the other lepers were most likely full-blooded Israelites. That's what Jesus seems to allude to. There's only one returning except this foreigner. But where were they? Maybe their covenant status as a people of God gave them a a hard heart towards the grace they had just received. Maybe they thought God owed them something. Maybe they simply expected Jesus to heal, because that was his job. But their lack of gratitude showed something. Showed a lack of understanding of their desperate condition and God's grace toward them. And that's what a lack of thankfulness pretty much always shows. And you know what? A lack of thankfulness in our lives probably reveals the same thing. You can see from this text that the Lord Jesus, He notices a lack of gratitude. Where are the other nine, Uh, he said. Surely they would come back glorifying God too and give thanks as this man did. How much more so 
Is that true for each of us who have received cleansing from sin? Beloved, we must understand our condition was far worse than leprosy. Our condition was being dead in trespasses and sins. And we were without eternal hope by nature and without God in the world. And the end result of that condition would have been eternal death in hell. Far worse than leprosy. And the cost it took to save us from our condition was far greater than the healing of these lepers. How nice it would have been if Jesus could have merely said to us, go or show yourself to someone and your sins would be paid for and we would be made perfect in, in an instant like that. But the remedy for our sin could not be done in that way. It could only happen through the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. The justice of God required that our sins be punished on the cross. And that's what Christ endured, being forsaken for our sins so that we would never be forsaken by God in hell. So we must understand the grace we've received is far greater than healing from leprosy. This is the great grace of God for us in Christ. And so if you see that, and if you are giving God praise and thanks for His grace, And only let me encourage you to do that more and more. The Samaritan in our text shows us the way. We don't pay God back for our salvation. In fact, we could never do it. That's also what Article 24 of the Belgian Confession is getting at. But the appropriate response is thanksgiving. It's praise of God. And on the other hand, if we have failed to see our condition and God's grace to us, and if we are not giving God praise and thanks for His grace, we must examine our hearts. What's the reason for our lack of gratitude? There could be various reasons, but our text points us in a certain direction. Have we taken God's promises for granted? We expect that salvation is just something that that God owes us or that forgiveness is something He owes us. You know what can happen? That those who come to faith uh, later in life, who grew up as uh, not as Christians, uh, they show a greater appreciation for the gospel. Perhaps much like the Samaritans show greater appreciation for the saving work of Christ than his fellow lepers. That isn't always the case, but it can be. And so if we feel that we are more like the nine lepers who have failed to give thanks, we need to see our salvation with new eyes. Realize that God doesn't have to save you. He didn't have to save you. He doesn't owe us it at all. He would be fully within His rights to punish us forever. 
but He has shown us His grace. Think of what Christ said to the Samaritan leper after return giving thanks. He said, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. And there's a double meaning in Christ's words. Literally, Christ says, your faith has saved you. Yes, it first of all means that he was healed from his leprosy. But the words here suggest ultimate salvation. The man recognized Christ for who he was. And if we believe in him, then we too will be saved. Your faith has saved you. And in light of that salvation, may I urge you, encourage you, to give God all thanks and praise now and always. Amen.